Welcome to the Dayspring Community Church Podcast. Check out our website at dayspringonline.org. And now, Dr. Matt Friedemann. Okay, we're going to have uh, an opportunity to look over Matthew 28 this morning, okay? So if you have your Bibles, we want you to turn there. And we've read some of it already. But let's just start at the top and read through this. And this morning, we're going to kind of do a Bible study. Uh, Let's look at this and find out uh, some ways that God might want to inspire us to be all the people he ever imagined we can be in his resurrection. Matthew 28, verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the tomb. And behold, there was that severe earthquake that occurred, and an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning. His clothing was white as snow. The guard shook from fear of him and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who's been crucified, but he's not here. Oh no, he's risen just as he said. So come see the place where he was lying and go quickly to tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And behold, He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I've told you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met him and said, Rejoice! And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go, bring my word to my brothers to leave from Galilee. There you will see me. And while they were on their way, some of the men from the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. And they said, you are to say this. His disciples came at night and stole them while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and keep you out of trouble. Deal? So he took the money and did as they'd been instructed. And the story was widely spread among the Jews even to this day. But the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had designated to them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to thee, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I don't know about y'all. Growing up, I love me some Easter. We had some good times. And uh, we call it precisely that, Easter. Uh, now, I'm not saying Easter is such a bad thing. I've said Happy Easter to a number of you already. But what we prefer to say here is Happy Resurrection Sunday, amen? Because we want to make the point the point. And the point is resurrection. Now, having said that, we very much love an opportunity to... Uh, to look at this story and say, what are the ramifications of this story for ourselves? But when I was growing up, 
it was all about eggs and Easter bunny and mostly chocolate. It was a chocolate day. And I don't know anybody here that's into chocolate as much as I am, but if you are, you know it's a good day when they say it's hidden all over the living room, go try to find it. <laughs> Whoo! Now, I don't know, I, I never really noticed what we must have been like when we finally went to church. But we had to have been on the highest sugar high of all human history. We were gorging ourselves, having a good time, and yep, you betcha, we believed in Santa Claus in the day and the Easter Bunny later on. I mean, yes, we were believers. Now, the Easter Bunny is a little bit harder to get over than Santa Claus, but I'm going to tell you, I, uh, I want to know it was a hilarious day. I wonder sometimes if the Lord doesn't allow such nonsense to happen in our lives. <laughs> By nonsense, I mean, hey, fun nonsense. Let's do it again nonsense. I like this nonsense. It's chocolate. But allows that to happen so that when we finally learn about the ramifications of the resurrection for our lives, what a great day that is in the kingdom. We finally realize what this thing's all about. This is about he was dead, but there's no way they could keep him dead. Life, God life is coming out of that tomb. And he doesn't intend just to stay out of the tomb, but to come reside in us that we might go. And that's why I love Matthew the best of the, all the gospel accounts of this. I love Matthew the best because it's linked in with go now and make disciples. Now, all of them kind of have that inkling, but I love Matthew's account best because it just flat says, listen, we're going to go all over the world now and change the world with his resurrection power. So just want to talk about a few things here. We're just going to, listen, I told somebody this morning, someone came in and says, you know my pastor from Baton Rouge. And in fact, I do know him. He's one of my best friends. Eight years ago, we weren't best friends, but he came up to me one day. We were at some conference somewhere. He says, man, we got to start doing that, don't we? I said, yeah, we do. It was about a discipleship group. And so he and I and a couple others got in a discipleship group. We've been meeting every single week for the last eight years. There's another discipleship group, same thing. One of these guys, you've heard him speak from Mexico City, Roberto Stevenson. We meet together every Monday, and he has poured in my life, and I've tried to pour something into his. But that group of pastors, I've had two groups of people, of men, of pastors that have fed each other across the last eight years. Now, I'm going to just go ahead and testify something to you right now. The best thing I can do for sermon preparation is to get in groups and say, hey, what do you guys think about this passage? So I got to tell you, I did it twice this week with these pastors and two more times with student groups. I just said, let's read Matthew 28. What's Jesus trying to tell us from Matthew 28? So I'm loaded for bear today. In fact, I got way more to say than you have time to listen. All right. So we're going to cut her short in as much as I got lots to say. But I want to refer you, first of all, to verse one. After the Sabbath, it began to dawn toward the first day of the week. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the tomb. Ho! anybody here willing with me to say, praise God from whom all blessings flow for women. I mean, praise God for women. I have been all my life surrounded by great women, strong women, servant women, second fiddle women. Let me tell you what I mean by second fiddle. They asked Bernstein one time, Leonard Bernstein, what's the most important uh, instrument in the whole orchestra? 
And he said, second fiddle. And they said, what do you mean second fiddle? He says, listen, everybody wants to play first violin. No one's too keen on saying, yeah, I play second violin. I play second fiddle for the orchestra. But those are the people that make the first fiddlers sound really good. And the bright light is not on them. The bright light is on the first chair. The second chair, not so much. He said, but without the second chairs all over the orchestra, there is no good sounding first chair. And that's my mom. That's my Aunt Alita. That's my sister Lisa. That's my wife. That's my daughter. I've been surrounded by extraordinary women my whole life long. So I'd read this first thing out of the gate in Matthew and say, look, it's the women who showed up. Why? I think I know why. I don't think it's because they're better than men. I think it's because when Jesus starts saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, he means it. And he says, the poorer of us are going to stand first in line in a lot of situations. And this was one of those situations. Now, I uh, years ago had a newspaper column and had a, a radio talk show. And one of the things that they asked of me early on was some friends of mine said, listen, you need to have this experience. And I think they said, so we can rub off the sharp edges of Matt Friedman if you're going to be that big of a profile in Jackson. And I know what they were trying to do because the program was rather, shall we say, left of center politically. And they viewed me, they viewed, just view me, I was very much right of center. So let's get him in his program and, and shave off some sharp edges. So I got into the program. It's called Leadership Jackson. Now they have Leadership Metro Jackson, even Leadership Mississippi. But at that point, they had Leadership Jackson. And what it was for is about 20 what they call budding leaders in the community. Let's get them in a program where once a month, we're going to teach them more about Jackson and how this thing really works. It was very informative, very good. I very much appreciated it. One weekend, however, I think it was about the third month or so, they had what they called, it was the, the most famous of the weekends, the hardest of all the weekends, and the weekends where they say, you know, that's going to be something. You're going to learn some things out of that weekend. And it was the, what they call the race the race weekend. And what they did was a relatively famous guy for this kind of seminar from Atlanta. They brought them to Jackson and by design, leadership Jackson was half black, half white, half men, half women, 25% each. And so there we all are. And here comes this guy from Atlanta. And I mean, it was one interesting weekend. And I'll just go ahead and tell you one tough weekend. Tears, fury, uh, laughter, and uh, tremendous mourning. This is what happened. This guy came in and we didn't even know it. In fact, it wasn't made totally clear to all of us until the very end, where in the last half hour, he said, all right, this is what we've just done. This is the experience you just went through. It was a role play. I came in and I treated all the whites as blacks have been treated for the last hundred years in this culture. And so, in other words, we were getting pummeled. I mean, and I don't know how else to do life. Maybe you all do. But if anybody ever says, is there a volunteer? I always put my hand up. Oh, let me do it. Even when it's like, 
If I do it, it's going to be terrible. I'll even do it then. I'll do it. And so I was putting my hand up, and I was getting pummeled. I was getting beaten. I was being made to look ridiculous. Never did I ever get to the point of tears, but boy, I was mad. And they were treating me like dirt. And of course, they went around and did it to all the white folks. It was hard. And finally, they had something. I said, I'll do it. And they said, nah, you've done too much. Pick out this guy. Let's pick him out. So he, he was a banker. Very prominent community. And uh, I actually forget what they asked him to do. I'd like to remember I forget. But basically, kneel down and try to do this thing, whatever it was. It was a hard physical thing. And I think he even had to do it blindfolded. And so he was trying to do this thing, blindfolded, and everybody's laughing at him. He can't do it. Ain't no way he can do it. It's something you ought to be able to do. He can't do it. And everybody's laughing at him. And the thing, you think, okay, that's enough. We've had enough of this. Let's go on to the next thing. No. The leader just kept going. Kept embarrassing him. Embarrassing. Embarrassing. And they moved this guy to tears. I wish I could tell you what it was that he was. I forget. But he was moved to tears. He was so frustrated. He was so embarrassed. He was one of the leading bankers in town and were laughing at him. Now we're crying for him and he is to tears as well. And the leader says, someone's got to help him. Ain't a single white guy going to help him. No way. He'll make just as much fun of us, humiliate us just like they're doing him. No white woman was going to. No black man did. But finally, there's a black woman that got up from her chair, knelt down beside him, and showed him what he needed to do to get this thing done. Now, at the end of the thing, went through all that and thought, what was that all about? We didn't know what it was all about. But the last half hour of the program, he said, that one exercise, you remember it? And the banker remembered it, and we all remembered it too. He said, that whole exercise? Let me tell you about that whole exercise. Every single time I've ever done this, and I've done this a hundred times, every single time we've ever done this seminar, and we come to that part of the program, I ask someone to come out and help him. Won't anybody help him? And a white man will never do it. A white woman never does it. A black man never does it. But a black woman every single time will kneel down by the guy and help the poor fella out. He says, and you want to know why? We wanted to know why. Because typically in our culture, that was the least of these in the culture. That person has already been emptied and therefore has nothing to lose, so why wouldn't she help? And I'm thinking to myself, there's a spiritual lesson in that. Whoever is emptiest has the greatest opportunity of being a hero in any situation. Why? There's nothing to lose. What do I got to lose? Or at least I got the least to lose of anybody here. Why? And I don't even think the black lady would even thought, hey, that's why I'm doing this. She just naturally was drawn to do it. Hey, y'all, I would suggest to you this. Every single one of us has to lose everything except Jesus to be all that Jesus wants us to be. We've got to be, listen, you say, that can't be true. No, that can't be true. 
You always need to take pride in your work. You always need to take pride in this. And, pride in, and what Jesus says is, I only want you to take pride in me. Praise me. Everything else in your life is hay, wood, and stubble. Love me with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And when you're empty enough of everything else, that's where I need for you to be. And you'll be amazed what happens. Now, these women that are at the grave, these women that are at the tomb, guess what? They are the lowest in that culture. Women are the lowest in that culture. They got nothing to lose. Well, they got something to lose, but yeah, they're going to... Peter knows they're killing us. If they get a hold of us, they're going to kill us. We're thinking, eh, probably won't kill us, and they weren't going to kill them. Why? Because they were already emptied. They were thought of to be haywood and stubble in the culture. They weren't going to get killed. That's why they showed up, not because they lack courage. Long time ago, when they were born, they were emptied out and been treated that way their whole life. Y'all, that's not us. When we come to the world, just like this beautiful child on the front row, we're all saying, oh, yeah, so cute, so wonderful, so good, so beautiful. That's our whole life. We're a self-esteem culture. Everybody's breathing to our life how great and awesome we are. And somewhere along the line, we've got to be emptied of all of that and say, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And when that happens... You'll show up at places like the tomb as well. You'll show up at places where people get humiliated and say, let me jump in with them and help them in their humiliation. You'll be one of the people say, I'm willing to hold up my hand and get in the fight. Even when getting in the fight means I'm going to die because after all, they can't take my life from me. I've already given it to Jesus. They can't take my job away from me. I've already given that to Jesus. They can't take my kids away from me. My kids belong to Jesus. They can't take it away anything from me because I belong to Jesus. I've already given everything to him. Oh my goodness, what a great place to be. And so Lord Jesus, could you do that kind of thing in our life? Get us empty enough, at least as empty as a woman like Mary Magdalene, the other Mary Salome, to be all that you ever intended we could be in any situation. Then this. Verse 2, behold, a severe earthquake occurred. Now, we were on that, and all of a sudden, dawned on me in one of our pastoral Bible studies, uh, discipleship groups, I said, I'm thinking of something here right now. I couldn't even think, earthquakes, earthquakes. Oh, yeah, John Wesley has a great sermon on earthquakes, and it's called, it's called Earthquakes and Their Causes and Cures. It's Sermon 129, for those of you who are looking it up right now. Don't. But if you are anyway, Sermon 129 of John Wesley. And John Wesley said this, Then I may fall in with the design of providence at this awful crisis. I shall take occasion from the words of my text, because they just had an earthquake. He said, let me talk about this earthquake. Number one, I'm going to show that earthquakes, in my sermon for today, that earthquakes are works of the Lord, and He only brings destruction upon the earth. He allows it. The earthquakes go all the way back to the fall. And that's where things start unraveling. So anything that happens today, God allows it because of sin. Now, that wouldn't be sin in general. That'd be your sin and mine. In general and in particular. Number two, 
I'm going to call you to behold the works of the Lord in two or three terrible instances. He actually gives illustrations. But finally, I'm going to give you some directions suitable to the occasion. And so I'm just going to read you the directions, can I? It's the last paragraph of the sermon. You ready for this? Some J-dubs for you early on our Easter morning. Call upon him now, O sinner, and continue instant in prayer till he answers you in peace and in power. Wrestle for the blessing. Your life, your soul is at stake. Cry mightily unto him, Jesus. You are the son of David. Have mercy on me. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Lord, help me. Help my unbelief. Save me or I perish. Sprinkle my troubled heart. Wash me thoroughly in the fountain of your blood. Guide me by your spirit. Sanctify me throughout and receive me up into your glory. You know what John Wesley says? If you've been having earthquakes in your life, and some of us are going through some earthquakes this week. We're going through some marriage earthquakes this week. We're going through some job earthquakes this week. We're going through some hell right here and right now. And the Lord says, listen, if you repent from your sins and commit your life to me and follow me to do whatever I want you to do, to go wherever I want you to go, to give whatever I want you to give, guess what's going to happen? Your earthquakes can't touch you with a 10-foot pole. The cure for earthquakes is you doing what I want you to do. Anybody crazy enough here to do that? That's what this resurrection story is all about. An earthquake came and out came Jesus to save your souls. Third thing is this. Look at down verse 2. An angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone, sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing is white as snow. The guards, get a little of this, I love this, don't you? The guards shook from fear of him and became like dead men. I just love that. They became like dead men. Now, go down to verse 8. After they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy, they ran to report to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met him and said, Rejoice! And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. There are two kinds of fears, maybe more, but two kinds that are shown here. Number one, there's a fear that makes us like dead men. Amen? And some of us are living in fear even now. And we're living like dead men. Instead of alive and vibrant and victorious, we are living like dead men. Our daubers are down. We're wondering, what's the meaning of life? We're wondering, where am I going to go? Why would I even go there? We're wondering all kinds of things. We're living like dead men. But there's another kind of fear. And it's this. It's a fear that leads us to joy, testimony, and hearing his voice and worshiping him. Now, some people say, some pastors say, we don't have a spirit of fear. Let me just wish for you the spirit of fear. The second kind, not the first. The first kind, no, let's be done with that. But the second kind, may you have a fear of God. And by the way, everybody be a little fearful if you stood in front of an empty tomb and you saw a bunch of white and someone saying, hey, not here anymore. And you're thinking, huh, what's going on? But the fear at that moment got them joyful. Anybody here want fear to turn into joy, to turn into testimony, 
to turn into you running down the road to tell the disciples what have happened? Anybody here want to say, if there is a fear that turns me on like never before for Jesus Christ, I'd like to have it. That's the spirit of fear I'd like to have. And it talks about it all throughout the, don't say, hey, let's, be, let's banish the, the, the spirit of fear. I'll banish the first kind, but I won't accept the second kind. And you think, I, I don't know, it just doesn't sound right to me. Then your dad's not six foot four and 275 pounds. Mine was, and I knew he loved me, and I loved him. But I also knew that if something went wrong, my dad was 6'4 and 275 pounds. You know, he didn't have to discipline me much. You just kind of got to be around at 6'4 and 275 pounds to know, I don't think I want this to go the wrong way. That's fear. But it's a fear that led to intimacy, a fear that led to great appreciation a fear that led me away from Great Bend, Kansas to preach the gospel in a place like Clinton, Mississippi. That's good. I want that fear. Lord, lay it on me more and more. Let me say this. I'm starting to run along. I don't want to do that to you. So I'm excising points. By the way, always these sermon notes are out there for you if you'd like to look at them. Can you imagine selling the truth for money? They took the money, verse 15. They took the money as they've been instructed, and that story still spread to this day. They took money to basically tell a lie. They knew the truth, and they flat up decided, if the price is right, I will not have to tell the truth. And they took the money. And I'm thinking, shame on them. Does anybody here know what that means? Because in our culture, money can be exchanged for anything, including comfort, ease, what the culture calls happiness, an HDTV, faster bandwidth on the internet. And some of us are so glued to what that money in America, one of the richest nations in the world can do for us that we'd rather do its bidding than do the bidding of God Almighty. And I've been guilty of it. And every time I find myself guilty of it, I want to repent and run into the arms of Jesus. The other thing is kind of interesting too. It says this, verse 16. The eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had designated them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But get a load of this, some were doubtful. Now, I have a son that said to me, Dad, interesting word, that word doubtful. And my children, including Joshua here today, they, they went to college and they majored in ancient languages. So they have so much to teach me. What's that word mean? Where's the insight mean? What's the ending? Uh, Hebrew, both Hebrew, Greek, Latin, they, they know stuff. And so I love it when they teach me. He said, the word doubtful is distazo. I say, yeah, so? Well, stanzo is a word for stand. But di, at the beginning, at distazo, the stanzo stand, but the di is double. Doubtful means a double standing. The etymology, where that word comes from, means a double standing. Standing. Hey, y'all, 
If that's what that means, or if it's something like that, I think I understand it all of a sudden. They're thinking, hey, we get all the testimonies, and hey, we're looking at him right now, but he's dead. So they're having a tough time putting the puzzle together. He's dead, and yet he's alive, and they can't quite wrap their minds around it. There's a double standing. They have a foot in death, and they have now a foot in resurrection life, and they're confused. Can anybody here imagine maybe being confused at that moment? I think we make fun of these guys way too They were doubtful. What idiots. I'm an idiot. I can imagine it. I can imagine. I don't get it. That's got to be an imposter. That's got to be something. So I'm seeing things. This is a dream. All kinds of things. They've got a foot in death and a foot in life, and they're having a tough time putting it together. There's a double standing. And by the way, I think the Lord said, and Matt, I'm putting that there for you and through you to Dayspring for a reason. Double standing is the curse of Christianity. It's how many of us have one foot in Jesus, but we have another foot over here in our job. And there it is. We're trying to straddle two things. Job over here with a pagan boss and pagan people around us with cuss words everywhere. And we just can't stand it. it's tough on us. We're anemic. We're lukewarm. But here, when I'm standing with Jesus, I'm strong. I'm thinking powerful thoughts. I love my life here. But most of my life is over here. And y'all, this is all kinds of situations. Job, pitiful marriage, uh, anger. When I'm over here, it's different than when I'm over here. And double standing is our curse. And Jesus says, there's a remedy for the curse. It's standing one place in me, no matter where you're at. In me, no matter where you are at. Having money problems? Stand with me in the money problems. You're having sexuality problems? Stand with me in the sexuality problems and I will bring you victory. Are you struggling right now with a life of addiction? Come with me and I will show you the way through. Joseph, could you come on up here? Now I've told Joseph this is going to happen. We need a hot mic here if we can get one. This, this one okay? So... I, uh, I've been a pastor for a while here. I've been Joseph's pastor for a while. And uh, we actually had a meal together. So I, I like to do this. We were doing it pre-COVID, and now we're on the other side of COVID. We're kind of rejuvenating it up again to say, hey, let's have lunch together, man. So I, I'd love to have lunch. And if you're a woman and say, I don't like that, I think I ought to be involved in the lunches too, then if you can get, you know, some other people... I'm not meeting alone for a woman, but if you can bring some other people, let's have lunch too. But I'm having lunch with Joseph. I said, man, what was the pivotal point for you in your testimony? And after he's done, I said, dude, how could I be pastor all these years and you never told me that? I want to hear that story. The pivot point, as you put it to me, what happened to bring you not only out of your addiction, but to bring you totally to Jesus. Yep. Yeah, I told this story to Matt, and he's like, you got to tell that story. And I'm like, yeah, maybe one day. And he's like, no, this Sunday. And I'm like, oh, no. What did I get myself into? So, uh, 
Yeah, if you don't know, I was a, a drug addict and, uh, you know, I was raised in church and, you know, I always had this Jesus in the back of my mind. And, you know, Matt's asking me, what's the turning point? And, you know, for years I did drugs and uh, there's always this justification. You know, it's always, you know, you don't just become a criminal and think, you know, I want to ruin my life and I go to jail today. But uh, for me, I was able to make it okay in my in my head. And so one night it uh, became not so okay anymore. And in uh, 2007, you know, I had this bad night where uh, I took a bunch of hallucinogens and speed and uh, thought the world was ending. And I took off running down the road and stripped down to my underwear and uh, was beating on people's doors and uh, screaming, Jesus is coming. I just love to have seen it. That's all. (laughs) And so... Uh, you know, I made it a couple miles down the road and, uh, you know, was swarmed by a big group of police. And, uh, I think there was a helicopter with the spotlight too. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I told this story one time at some guys at Harbor House and one of the guys was like, me and my dad saw you. We were there. Like, and uh so and I'm like, and you still did drugs anyway? Like But anyway, uh of all the places they detained me, it was in the parking lot of this church right there in Byram and uh mm. you know, I was handcuffed with in my underwear babbling and uh I just couldn't get over, you know, after that night, I couldn't get over the feeling of knowing that, you know, that night I knew my life was over. And it's like I knew I was about to be. I knew I was going to stand before the Lord and have to answer for my life. And, uh, but I went on for another year doing drugs and uh I just couldn't get that feeling out that uh that when I died I was gonna you know I didn't I couldn't answer for what I had done and uh you know it was just that constant feeling of uh just utter defeat and uh about almost exactly a year later you know I and that year was horrible. Uh, you know, just that feeling of, of knowing that I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing, but I couldn't stop. And uh, I ended up getting arrested and then arrested again within about three weeks. And, and uh, at that point, it was like I'd come to an end of myself. And uh, so I got help and got into like a 12-step program. And the craziest thing is that I actually ended up at a 12-step program at that same church (laughs) and uh, where I was a member for about 10 years. And 
And eventually, we started a CR, Celebrate Recovery Program here, and that's where I ended up. So, mm. Good. Praise the Lord. Today. That's awesome. Good stuff. So I heard, we heard, I heard that on Friday. I thought, I'm, I, I, it gets worked there somewhere. I don't know where. We're going to work it in, though. This is the perfect place. I've been to church. I love church. I love Jesus. But I want to do drugs. I'm not at the end of myself. I'm in my underwear, going up and down the road, telling people that Jesus is returning. Y'all, that's almost funny, except that's where a lot of us are living right now. Now, it might not be addiction. We're not in our underwear going up and down the street, but we're doing stuff just as dumb because we are double standing. And Jesus says, stop it. I want you to put all your eggs in one basket, and that's me, and worship me only. Stand with me only. Seek only the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all things, Joseph, all things, Matt, will be added unto you. Praise be to God. And the last thing is this. At the end of this resurrection story, Jesus says, okay, we're all here now. You see I'm resurrected. Go and make disciples of the nations. This thing ends up with responsibility. I want you to go and make disciples of all the nations. And when that happens, you will know that I am with you always to the very end of the age. Matthew starts off with Emmanuel, God with us. Matthew ends up with, I am with you always. And the resurrected Jesus is with you right here, right now. Do you believe it? And he wants to get you off of a double standing into only standing with him. Amen? And when he does, your best days are yet to come. Do you believe that? So please stand. Jesus, we're just praying right now. You will take our double standing and make it into a, I stand on Jesus alone. He is my salvation. He is my refuge. He is my strength. Jesus, in you, I put my commitment, my loyalty, my life, my all in all in you, Lord Jesus. And there's some people here today that need to talk some more. I'm just going to say there's more to be talked about. And so in as much as you need to talk with the pastor before you go today, let's talk, let's pray through, let's ask Jesus to be strong in our lives, to be only in our lives. It's Resurrection Sunday, y'all. Let that resurrected Jesus live in you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you, Dayspring. Thank you. Happy resurrection.